0: Hey everyone. Welcome to Brain Health with Dr. Nissen. In this show, we explore the universe's great unknown, the human brain. In my reflections and interviews with guests, we'll go to the forefront of psychiatry, neuroscience, nutrition, and medicine to see how we can enhance our mental health, sharpen our cognition, and reach better performance. This is Brain Health, and I'm Dr. Nissen. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Brain Health with Dr. Nissen podcast today. I am so pleased to be here with Mike Christensen. Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, uh, Dr. Nissen. Yeah, it's great. Great being here with you too Mike it, it must be really weird uh, when when Mike is saying Dr. Nissen to me because uh, I was the first time that we met, I was a medical student. he he knew me when I, Really didn't know anything about uh, CBT or team CBT, and I still don't know much at all in comparison to Mike. Uh, So that brings into an intro. Uh, So, Mike is a registered clinical counselor, and he is a level five master team CBT therapist and trainer. And so the the reason why I'm sitting here with Mike today is that Mike was actually my uh, my instructor when I was learning team CBT. So, for those of you who aren't familiar with therapy in general, I'm just going to take a few steps back and and tell you um, a little bit about uh, therapy and about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and then Mike can talk about you know the the team cognitive behavioral therapy and and some of the ways that we can use. Know, these approaches in therapy to understand better people's emotions and how it leads us to feeling how our thoughts lead us to feel certain ways and to have certain behaviors, and the really intimate relationship that this has with anxiety and depression, um, which is something that so many people are suffering from. So um, so Mike works closely with his CBT uh, pioneer, Dr. David Burns, um, and has and Mike's been delivering workshops in Canada um prevent, providing advanced level online training with the feeling good institute for therapists around the world um and that's how he and i had gotten connected mike specializes in treating depression and anxiety with experience and in, in training in addictions ptsd and relationship challenges as well so Mike, again, I want to say welcome and um, anything else that you wanted to, to throw in there that I didn't include in the introduction that might be interesting. Well, it's just it's great to connect with you again, Nick, and uh, certainly calling you Dr. Nissen is a
1: <laughs> kind of an honor to be here. Um, you know, when you say you were a student in one of my classes, you're certainly one of the uh, one of the stars. And uh, so when you offered the opportunity, it was uh, something that was easy for me to jump at.
0: No, thanks, Mike. Well, uh, so. You know, I, I wanted to get started again, you know, thinking that not everyone listening knows therapy or is a therapist himself. So, um, you know, I, th- I think uh, at least in the, the environment that I grew up in, therapy was considered sort of this this thing that maybe people in the city would use, you know, very wealthy people laying back in a reclining chair and somebody, you know, asking them about their childhood. And it seemed like, you know, that's not something that really regular people do or regular people can benefit from. Um, But uh, as I've gone through my training, And I'm sure as Mike has seen throughout his career, you know, therapy can play a very important role in treating anxiety and depression amongst other things like, like, you know, PTSD and addictions. Um, so first of all, uh, Mike, if you could help me kind of, uh, with describing cognitive behavioral therapy and, um, and what is a way for you know for a regular person to think about um, cognitive behavioral therapy and why it's something that uh, is helpful for a lot of people
1: yeah it's such a good question because I think my own experience was similar to what a lot of people would have been I was actually in business in another number of other areas before I uh, got into full-time kind of counseling and therapy work and um, I'd struggled for a while at a time and thought oh I I'm not the kind of guy that would go to therapy, right? Because right. I was, you know, a businessman and other things. And I, I think this is where um, Dr. Burns, who kind of popularized CBT with his book *Feeling Good*, um, played such a significant role in my life. And the basics of cognitive therapy or cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, is kind of what we call it. Is that our thoughts really drive how our emotions are, how we're feeling, right? So, it's if we can change how we think, we can then change how we feel. So, for example, if if I had the thought coming onto your podcast, oh no, this is going to be, you know, a terrible thing, and you know, all these medical people are going to be evaluating me, and you know, Dr. Nissen's kind of critical, I'd be feeling. Kind of anxious and and worried and a little hesitant you know maybe feeling a little little inadequate coming onto the show whereas if i have the thought oh this is such a great opportunity you know nick is such a warm and caring guy and it's going to be a ton of fun then I'm feeling excited and looking forward to it and kind of happy about the opportunity. And so even though the situation is the same, how I'm thinking about the situation really drives how I'm going to feel about it. And so if we can change how we think using a number of different techniques and strategies, which is what we do in cognitive behavior therapy, then we can change how we feel. And then you can use those
0: strategies over and over again in your life that's right. And, and I, th- I think that that's, you know, where a lot of people get stuck is they they're feeling depressed, or they're feeling just super worried, and they're wondering, what can I do about it? And so the approach of cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy, or one one way that it's described is like a triangle between our thoughts, our feelings and our behaviors, and that all three of those are in constant communication with with the other so you know if you're behaving a certain way it's going to lead you to feel a certain way and to have certain thoughts. And if you're thinking a certain way, it's gonna lead you to behave a certain way and to feel a certain way. And if you're feeling a certain way, you'll have certain thoughts and certain behaviors as well. So, um, So if we can make adjustments in what we're thinking, it will change completely how we're feeling. If we can change our thoughts, we can change even the behaviors that we start to make. And similarly, another way where we can make interventions is by changing our behaviors. If we change how we behave, that can also change how we feel. Feel. And it can also change some of the thoughts that we're having. So Mike just gave an example of coming onto the show and thinking, you know, if I totally change the thoughts that I'm having, this internal conversation that I'm having, I'm going to change how I feel when going on the show and it's going to create, you know, a better result. So, um, this is, this is why, you know, for a lot of people, you know, you look at different podcasts or YouTube videos out there. And there's a lot of energy around like coaching and self improvement. And and yet, you know, there's a stigma around therapy. And in so many ways, they overlap, you know, and we we can get so much better Um, we can get better outcomes in our lives we can perform better and feel better um, by using you know these components of cognitive behavioral therapy of changing what we think to start to feel different and and those are a lot of the same principles that are made very popular and are very widely accepted by you know these big sort of self-help gurus and uh, you know um, coaching sort of people that you'll find online
1: yeah absolutely and I, i love how you describe that and in many ways when we're doing kind of therapy it's getting somebody who is highly trained with some of those skills and techniques when you're feeling stuck right when you've kind of tried the other things on your own you've tried some of the self-help books and maybe listen to podcasts and just a little bit stuck you need a second set of eyes uh you know to kind of look at the situation go ah i wonder if we use this technique to challenge the way you're thinking or if you engage in this behavior and then evaluate your thoughts
0: based on those changes then we can get those results that we're looking for absolutely so those those are excellent thoughts and so i think that that brings us into the next part of you know who might this be helpful for who uh you know be it um a, a disease that, that we often think you know think from in the, the from the perspective of psychiatry of you know major depressive disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder or just a general you know type of person who who might be able to benefit from cognitive behavioral therapy and why
1: well, certainly in the in the early days of cognitive therapy, it was really highly validated for, for depression, particularly, mm-hmm. right? If you can challenge the way you think, challenge what you feel, and um, with a lot of research, it was super helpful for those that were struggling with kind of thoughts of, um, you know, feeling down or insecure or, or inadequate, you know, ho- hopelessness. And so it's very valuable there. We, we can see pretty quick results with it, the, the, when the behavioral aspect was kind of, you know, included and incorporated, and this is one of the things Dr. Burns discovered, you know, when he was first doing cognitive therapy, there were still some groups of people that weren't being as helped as much as he would have liked, and so he began to incorporate some of the more behavioral techniques, and this is where um, things like exposure techniques for anxiety can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. So when, when we're looking at PTSD, there's often both components there. There's a kind of depressive component, but there's also the anxiety of you know recurring you know nightmares or visions or those types of things, or or just general fears in gen in general. And so that's where we combine both the cognitive techniques as well as some of the behavioral ca- techniques to overcome those those places where we're kind of stuck in an, in, a, in a rut.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think that part of what you started to touch upon is you know something that makes team cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the type of therapy that you specialize in and is what it, uh, you trained me in. You know some of the different things that it brings to the table. Could you talk a little bit more about team cognitive behavior behavioral therapy as it relates to cognitive behavioral therapy in general? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And this is where um, you know Dr. Burns, uh, who's still going strong actually after all these years, he, he originally. You know, trained under Dr. Aaron Beck, who was kind of one of the fathers of cognitive therapy and, mm-hmm. and also worked on with Albert Ellis. But then when he wrote the book, Feeling Good, it became a bestseller for depression self-help and still is one of the bestsellers to this day. And he just recently released his book, Feeling Great. But one of the things he discovered, and he was a psychiatrist that was not happy with just handing out meds that mm-hmm. didn't seem to be as effective as he would have liked. Um, he found there's a certain percentage of the population that weren't actually getting better as, as quickly as he, he would have liked. And so he he really incorporated his research mindset, right, to doing testing. So he would do a, a check-in test before and after every session. How, how are you feeling before and how are you feeling after and how did the session go? And then he would get that feedback to see what are the components that are actually working. And so that's the T in testing when we talk about team. And then the E is the, the empathy part. He, he found there's a real powerful connection if you have a good... Uh, um, therapeutic Alliance, we call it, or a good connection with your therapist or your counselor. That's a foundation of doing great work together. There has to be that mutual trust. And then the, the third component is the A, and he um, called us, calls that now assessment of resistance or, or agenda setting. And this has really been the most recent development in the last 15 to 20 years, where he's identified um, the really wonderful things about hanging on to or clinging to our symptoms, right? Um, there's actually some real benefits to um, feeling depressed and anxious, right? If I'm if I'm worried about my children, that shows I I love them, I care for them, I want the best for them,
0: and so I prevent bad things from happening to them.
1: Prevents bad things from happening, right? And and so it's actually a wonderful thing. And what we do in team is we honor that resistance and bring it to conscious awareness, so that it's not kind of Hanging on to or clinging to us, despite our best intentions, and then the M really comes back to the um, the methods that we use, uh, of which many are cognitive methods. We use things like identifying the distortions and examine the evidence, and, and mm. other popular cognitive tools, as well as you know relationship tools or uh, motivational tools or uh, or anxiety type tools with with exposure.
2: Um, mm. So and what if- David's
1: found is um, that. The speed of treatment is much higher when you've addressed that resistance piece, mm. right when when we bring it to to awareness, we, we actually want the, our clients or our patients driving the the bus, as it were, and we're alongside them. And I tell all of the people that I work with, ultimately, my goal is for you to get rid of, is for you to get rid of me by becoming your own therapist, by learning the techniques and skills and tools you need that you can apply. So once we discover a moment of recovery, they can then, re apply those techniques on their own without me and they don't need long term therapy in that traditional sense,
0: right? Yeah. And that was something that was really powerful for me to learn about is, you know, how to honor always the role that these negative thoughts or behaviors are playing in someone's life and that's true for depression it's true for addictions and so many people you know when you are going to help somebody that is feeling depressed they're feeling sad they're feeling down Uh, you you're going to them immediately with problem solving sort of you know offerings you're saying uh hey you know uh let's let's get you out of the house let's go out for dinner or hey uh, or maybe you're giving them some encouragement and you're saying you know hey um you know don't you things will be better you know don't worry about it you're first of all you're not honoring exactly what they're feeling or what they're going through which they need to sort of sit with for a while um before they're maybe ready to actually do something about it and then secondly you're not also identifying what this is providing to them you know and in somebody with an addiction you know there there may be that that bottle of vodka might give them a a tremendous amount of escape from their problems. And it might allow them to totally, you know, forget about the relationship stressors that they have or about the bills they need to pay. And that's a huge value that they're getting. So you need to honor that if there's any way that they're going to, you know, let go of it. So yeah, absolutely. I I had the privilege of working
1: in an addictions treatment center for uh, almost seven years, and when I first started working there, m- my perspective would have been that yeah, addictions are problems that people need h- help with.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: it didn't take long, particularly with my training under Dr. Burns, that I began to recognize that um, addictions actually aren't problems at all; they're actually s- solutions to a problem. Exactly. And so when we honor how powerful that solution is, and really they're they're coming to treatment because the solution that they have is no longer working for them. There are some consequences to it. Um, and so we want to kind of honor what, what those solutions are and then provide alternate solutions for them. If they, they so, so want it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's much the same, even with anxiety or depression, I, you know, really struggled with some aspects of anxiety for a while. And, um, you know, even in their current day and age, there's a lot of anxious people right with COVID and everything. And um, <clears throat> COVID can, you know, being anxious can really protect you because then you can be more careful. We wash our hands more. We, you know, we tend to be more careful. And, uh, right. and so that that can be actually a, a beneficial thing. The, the problem, of course, is if it gets to an extreme, you know, in certain areas, then it, then it causes us suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really where we're looking for alternate solutions mm-hmm. rather than h- clinging to the ones that we have
0: yeah i I saw this meme and it was it said something along the lines of you know people with ocd this is the moment we've all been preparing for and it's so true because you know this these these anxious uh worries and patterns of behavior of washing your hands after touching everything that you touch you know it's it seemed quote unquote, unnecessary or ridiculous until now. and But the, these are the roles that these anxieties are, are playing is they play a very legitimate role in allowing us to, you know, prevent bad things from happening to us. So if we ever want to change it, we need to, you know, first recognize a positive value that it's having, and see whether you know, it could be dialed down as opposed to taken away completely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I still um love parts of my anxiety. When I go to teach a class, I get a little bit anxious before every class. And that used to be a problem for me because then I wouldn't be able to focus or concentrate, but now it's just that energizing, right? We often talk about I I coached sports and raced, you know, bikes at a high level for for many years. And we talk about in sports and athletes kind of playing on the edge, getting that emotional edge, right? And that's really what we're looking at is you want to Hang on to the, the the benefits of being up, you know, amped up and excited about your your performance, but mm-hmm. not so much that it overdoes and it shuts you down. And these are the skills that we we teach, and uh, and so you know we we do that with sports performance as well. How do you
0: how do you be sharp and on top of your game, but not so overwhelmed that you lose focus? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that everyone could benefit from, you know, even if you're not a therapist or a counselor or a doctor, you know, we can really benefit from honing these skills of communication and of empathy, really, which is a key tenant of emotional intelligence, of being able to recognize, Emotions in another person, and to um, to honor them to the correct amount, and you know, uh, to to respond in a way that's helpful. And I already touched upon this before, but so often, you know, somebody complains to us, and we give them sort of a false encouragement of you know everything everything will be fine, or maybe it's not even a false encouragement, maybe it's a real encouragement. But uh, everyone seems to know when they're feeling bad, when they're feeling down it needs to be honored for a while it needs to be sort of sat with uh for a little while and um and so this i think that um something that would be helpful for us to go through is in within team CBT there's this um this way uh, or sort of this organization of of uh practice known as the five secrets of, of effective communication so i think it'd be good if we went through those so that you know people could learn um how to empathize better and how to sort of deal with somebody uh, uh with their uh difficult emotions help them to you know to process them with them uh would would you mind uh, if we kind of go through what those five secrets are
1: yeah absolutely and i think this is uh this is a a key part of what we do in all of our training. Um, The empathy piece gets infused to every part of it during the testing, during the assessment of resistance, using the methods. And my, my opinion of, you know, Dr. Burns, David's greatest contribution to psychotherapy, which has been massive is that he's able to take these really um, profound and, and deep, you know, concepts and make them simple enough for guys like like me to understand, <laughs> right? For us kind of mere mortals. Mm-hmm. And and uh, when he was um, <clears throat> really working in cognitive behavior therapy, learning it, he discovered there were some people he didn't connect with very well, and, and it was hard to do. And he, he actually found that some of his students were better at connecting than he was. And so he distilled those components down and made them very kind of simple, with these five secrets, and you'll see them in other communication techniques, they may be called something else, Um, but with these, the combination of these five, has really simplified it to make it um, easy for us to understand. That doesn't make it easy to do, in fact, they're extremely difficult to do, Mm -hmm. and they take a ton of practice. Uh, Mm -hmm. I still get together with a a couple of colleagues of mine every two weeks, and we practice together, so I can hone my skills, And, and whenever I meet with David, we practice together, and he's been doing this for well, 50 plus years. And so we never stop learning. That's one of the beauties. So the five secrets are are built on kind of what we call the EAR acronym, E-A-R, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's all about listening, putting yourself in a posture where you're trying to hear and understand what the other person is saying to you, both on a um, kind of technical level, what are they actually saying, what the words are saying, but also on an emotional level and that allows you to connect more deeply with them. So the first of the five secrets is called the disarming technique. And it's particularly powerful and, and useful when somebody is criticizing you when they're negative. And the idea is it's built on the kind of paradoxal law of opposites where if you agree with a criticism, um, <clears throat> you actually end up putting the lie to it and, and you disarm them. So as an example, if um, somebody, well, I had somebody write in a feedback form to me once um they were giving me feedback what do you like the least about the session and and this particular gentleman said you suck i never want to see you again you're the worst therapist ever and here i was kind of the top ranked you know team therapist in canada i'm thinking well how can that be true (laughs) And, and and yet when i took a step back and thought disarming technique how can i agree with that i realized actually it wasn't just a little bit true it was completely true Mm-hmm. You see, I'd missed something very important he was trying to tell me. And so I had to find some way of agreeing with him and saying, actually, you know what, when I read what you wrote there, it was hard for me to read because it, it was true. I did suck. I was kind of the worst therapist ever. And almost immediately when I responded to him in that way, he he, he calmed down and, and then let me know more about what was going on. So the mm-hmm. first one is hard to do, but you have to agree with the criticism, even though it seems ridiculous and absurd. And um, and you will therefore then be able to connect more deeply with somebody. the The second part of the E, the empathy part, is the more traditional um, training we get in empathy training, and that is thought empathy and feeling empathy. And thought empathy is reflecting back, repeating back what somebody says to us using their own words, and so we actually capture what they say. So so when I responded to this gentleman, I I responded by saying, you know, what, when you said. You suck! I never want to see you again. You're the worst therapist ever. That was thought empathy. I was actually repeating back what said, and the idea is that um, <clears throat> when I tell you I've got the message and repeat it back to you, then you know I actually got the message, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, it's kind of like the fast food, um, you know, rule where if you, um, I think there's a guy named Harvey Karp out of he's a um, pediatrician out of California, who's designed this for children. And I picked this up from him. And he, he said, when you repeat back what somebody says, it's kind of like when you go through the drive through and you say, I want a burger, Coke and fries. And the person at the other end says, Okay, so that's a burger, Coke and fries, sir. That's thought empathy, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we both know we got the message. Mm -hmm. and It's important to use other people's words as accurate as we can so that they recognize oh yeah we're actually paying attention yeah the feeling empathy part is guessing at what their emotions are or if they've used an emotion word and then bringing that out 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 into the open Mm. by saying oh you know what i imagine you're probably feeling pretty frustrated or annoyed or even upset with me am i on the right track with that and that's the e part and uh the empathy finishes kind of with that inquiry
0: so Disarming technique, thought and feeling, empathy, and then inquiry to check in and make sure you got it. Mm. That's the starting point. Yeah. So I, I wanted to interrupt here because, you know, so that you can go through the rest of it, but I think that it is so important what you were saying about the disarming technique in finding some truth about what the person is saying. Um this is—it's something I see in the hospital all the time—that uh, there will be somebody who's very upset. Um, I remember there's this one guy who um, he was leaving the hospital and he really wanted to have a coat, and I felt really bad because there was no coats that we could provide in the hospital, and uh, you know we had the social workers look into it, and um, and it was cold out, and so I really felt bad. Um, but he, you know, he was saying, you know, this is. This this place is total garbage. You all don't care about me. You know, you're not how how are you letting me leave without having a coat? And, you know, and um if I would have come up with an excuse and said, you know, um, I, I would have loved to, but we just don't have any, or uh, you know, um it's, we're
1: doing the best we can we're doing the
0: best we can yeah it's I, i'm not um uh, he's not he's not sure deep down whether or not i really understand what he's saying and likely what you'll see with people you know when you're arguing with them is that they tend to repeat themselves until it's clear that you understand it so until you can communicate until you can say one that you're right there there's you know um uh, it it is um you know we, we we're not providing you with what you need or you know finding something true with within what they're complaining about and then um and, and then repeating back to them in their own words what their concerns are about this then it's clear to them you understand you've received it and oftentimes that, that helps to bring down the argument the energy the anger behind it because they they understand now They've been hurt, and there's you don't run into the same cycle of repeating yourself, repeating yourself, one person battling against the other, back and forth, back and forth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a much more efficient way of communicating, even though it seems like, well, we need to let them know that we're trying to do everything we can so they can understand. We're, you know, what happens is we end up getting kind of defensive when we do that, and we get into what I call explaining mode. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> When you get defensive, then the other person will then be be defensive back. Whereas if you let your defense down and go, Oh, you know what, sir, you're absolutely right. This situation, it it, it sucks. It's terrible. We're not, we're not actually providing what you need. And and this is a terrible situation. Yeah. Right. And you deserve better than that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, then you're sending the message you're important. What you say is important and, and, um, that doesn't necessarily mean you you can provide it but at least you're connecting with him and and, and trying to understand where he's coming right. from right and
0: and and I also wanted to linger a little bit on the empathy piece of this and yeah. uh you know in thought empathy which we just mentioned and feeling empathy um where you know the thought empathy being repeating back in the person's own words, what their concerns are, what they're feeling, or, you know, whatever they're trying to describe to you, and the feeling empathy of going that next level of, of, of uh, synthesizing really kind of what they're saying and trying to give an, an, an emotion about it. Yeah. Um, and so you know, in this person who's leaving the hospital, and they're not getting a coat, and they need a coat, you know, you can say, you know, this must feel totally um, disrespectful to you you know uh, that you're you're not getting what you deserve or what you need or that you must feel completely sort of discarded or unimportant to us um Mm -hmm. uh you know doing that is is really i think a, a powerful um uh, way to to practice empathy in your own life of really thinking of you know how can you uh, listen to what the person's saying and identify the emotion uh, that that they're ex- experiencing because again it will go to uh, they'll they'll then he- understand that you understand them and um, it helps to kind of deflate the the anger or the uh, frustration in, in the in the conversation going on and um, and help the person to feel more heard.
1: Yeah, for sure. You're connecting with them using thought empathy on the kind of intellectual level, right, mm-hmm. on the content level. But with the the feeling empathy, you're connecting with them on the emotional level, and that mm-hmm. that, that go, does go to a, a deeper place, right? And so, you know, with this illustration we're using, saying, "Oh, you know what? I imagine <clears throat> this is pretty frustrating you know, for you, and you, you know, if I, I were you." pretty angry about this because this isn't right, mm-hmm. right? you have every, every right to be, <clears throat> you, know, t- you know, am I on the right track there? Am, am, am I hearing you? Mm-hmm. Right? And this is where the inquiry follows up with the, the feeling of the, because we don't, we don't actually ever really know how people are feeling. We can get a sense based on their behavior and, mm-hmm. but to tell somebody how they're feeling rather than to bring it out in the open in a kind of inquiring way, that honors their opportunity to correct you, and that comes from a very humble position, right, I mean, you know, as somebody who's been a therapist for many years, uh, I'm actually pretty poor at guessing at how people are feeling Mm -hmm. and and what they're thinking, and in our our testing, which is one of the reasons we use testing, um, the research suggests that we're actually, um, you know, you can get better at it, but we're all still pretty poor at it, and so when we do the feeling empathy, we do it in a way that really honors, you know, what the sense is, what's going on, but also gives them an opportunity to clarify, mm-hmm. right? Um, certainly this gentleman that wrote to me, you know, you saw, kind of want to see you again. When I, when I did see him again, the following week, fortunately we had an, an, another opportunity. I said, oh, you know, when I read what you wrote, um, you know, he said, I, I saw you never want to see me again. You're the worst that was ever, that's thought empathy. And I thought to myself, oh, I imagine you're feeling pretty pretty disappointed in me, frustrated, pissed off, even really angry. Mm -hmm. And and I said, am am I on the right track? And and he said, yeah, you got it, Mm -hmm. right? And then he kind of let me have it a little bit more, Mm -hmm. right? Because now we were actually conversing. He was opening Mm -hmm. things up um, by just honoring it. It didn't have to be defensive. Um, Didn't have to explain why I messed up. I I had messed up. I'd missed something important he was trying to tell me.
0: Awesome. So this is, you know, the E part of that e-a-r ear acronym that you just mentioned it is the empathy um so we can do that by beginning with disarming the person by acknowledging the truth and whatever it is that they're describing and then we can give thought empathy of repeating back to them what what they've you know described or said uh, and then the feeling empathy back to them and then also by inquiring at the end of you know am i getting this right or what else you know what else am i missing here what else would you like to add Um, that helps us to kind of flesh out the empathy that we provide at the beginning. What's the rest of the EAR?
1: Yeah. And just one more point on the inquiry. There's kind of two, two kinds of inquiry. Mm -hmm. The one kind of inquiry is checking in to see if you got the message. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Am I on the right track? That's one. And the other kind of inquiry is kind of the more open-ended, tell me a little bit more about, you know, kind of what you're thinking and feeling that opens up the conversation for, for more. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And judiciously placed they they either connect uh, you know very deeply or give an opportunity to to hear more about what's going on Mm. um once and these don't necessarily go in any order right we we put them in this order because I think it helps us to understand them and, and clarify and practice them the next piece is the a part and 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 David titles this kind of assertiveness, although A traditional definition of assertiveness would not apply here because usually we think of assertiveness as how do I defend my position and and state my position. And what David's referring to here when he talks about assertiveness is sharing how we are feeling in that moment and and not hiding ourselves from Mm -hmm. it in a very open, authentic, genuine, but also humble way, Mm -hmm. Right. So just as an example, with this gentleman who who wrote to me, you suck, I, you know, would have shared, you know, it was hard for me to hear, to read what you wrote. That's an I feel statement. It, it wasn't easy. It was, it was difficult. And I'm feeling a little kind of disappointed in, in, in myself because you deserve better than that. Mm. And so I'm I'm actually sharing some of my I- emotions with him now. In the professional setting, there's some some balance to that. You don't kind of overshare your emotion; that would be unethical um, behavior. But in the context of our our relationships, um, you know, when we hide our emotions, it creates this barrier between us. And so we actually bring ourselves into the room with them. And this is a little bit contradictory to what would be more traditional, you know, therapy training or e- even uh, I would say empathy training, where you, we're told it's all about the other person. Well, part of it being all about the other person is you allow them, you know, the opportunity to, to be in the world together with you. Mm. And, and so we do share our, our, our emotions.
0: Right. And I think that, you know uh when somebody's talking about something particularly about you know feeling sad or depressed it, it can feel very vulnerable and yeah. and so it can be very important to share what you're feeling as part of sort of encouraging this vulnerability and um and in making it you know a, the sort of environment where it's comfortable to do that because you know if you if you mention what you're feeling then it, it's easier for the other person to mention what they're feeling I know often with um, people that
1: come to me for help with anxiety, I'll, 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 I'll do an I feel state with them when we're talking about how um, some of their friends or family members or other people will try to calm them down and say, oh, just calm down. It's okay. Relax. You're going to be fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 they smile when I say that because it happens to kind of anyone who's been anxious before. And so my I feel with them is to say, you know, when that happens, I've had that happen to me. There's a part of me that just wants to um I, I want to punch them because I get so frustrated and angry. Do, do you ever feel that way too? And and they light right up. They're like, that's exactly how I feel. It's because like their friends, family, other well-meaning, you know, people are trying to be encouraging, but they're actually dismissing their 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 suffering. They're dismissing how they're feeling. And so when I share and I feel with them, they're like, Oh, you get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because. I felt anxious too. When people tell me calm down, I say, "You calm down, right?" Mm-hmm. As opposed to going, "Oh, tell me what that's like for you when you're feeling that anxiety, right? When you have to, you know, get into a a, a car after being in, in that car accident. What's that feel like? I imagine it's terrifying for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I had a friend who was who was um, killed in a car accident. There's certain highways that I feel anxious too. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your experience. Now mm-hmm. instantly now there's that deeper connection because I've, I've shared a little bit of mine, to op- help open them up.
0: Right, right, awesome. So that that covers the A. Then in the E A R, what would be the last part of this?
1: Well, the last one is uh, David's termed respect, mm-hmm. and um, he he defines it as um, telling somebody something that you genuinely value and appreciate a, about them and, and affirm about them. So kind of in a stroking manner, you you stroke their ego in a sense, mm. right? So he calls it stroking. Um, and, and it's that that respect, which can be hard when somebody's criticizing you, mm. right? Now, the key when you do respect is it has to be genuine. Otherwise, um, it will fall flat. It's People will see right through it. And so you'll notice even when we started the podcast here, um, I said, you know, that Dr. Nissen, you know, was kind of a sign of re- respect and, and that you were, uh, you know, kind of a real star in, in one of my classes and I enjoyed having you. So the opportunity was was great. That's stroking. Mm-hmm. And how, how did you feel when I said that? felt great. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when you complimented me, it felt good too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we have somebody who is struggling with, kind of depression or anxiety um, or, or addictions for that matter. We have to be um, a little bit careful that we're not getting into the cheerleading mode, trying to cheer them up by saying, oh, you're, you're such a great person. That, that's too broad in general. It has to be specific, mm. right? You know, somebody sharing with me that they're depressed and they don't feel like they're there for their family. Say, oh, it is so hard, isn't it? Right? It sounds like you really do care a lot about your family. I, I admire that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's now no stroking mm-hmm. because part of their suffering is because they value their family so much and they don't feel like they can be there for them like they would like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, as opposed to saying, oh, you're such a great person. That's not a good stroking. That's kind of just a general platitude. Right. Um, so when we, when we do the stroke, you can even do it with people who um, are attacking you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like this gentleman who, who, who wrote the comment to me, you know, when I responded, saying, you know, it is hard to read what you said because it was so true what you wrote, mm-hmm. I did suck.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I feel a little disappointed because you deserve better than that from mm-hmm. your therapist. that That's a stroking, telling him he deserves the, the best. Mm-hmm. You know, and on one hand, it was hard for me to read. You wrote, on the other hand, it, it gave me a tremendous amount of respect for you mm-hmm. that you, you're going to stand up for yourself. You're not going to put up with it. Right and also that you trusted me enough that I could handle it, and, and I feel kind of honored that you would do that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and suddenly now I'm I'm complimenting him for attacking me, mm-hmm. but I, you have to do it in a genuine, I was being genuine with him, I wasn't just kind of using words, mm-hmm. and um, we went on to actually have a really amazing working relationship together, so one of them most fun guys ever worked with. And when he shared his story with me, I realized, oh, it's no wonder he was so upset after I'd kind of glossed over something he'd been trying to tell me in that one session. Mm. And I I still have a card, actually, that he wrote to me. Not many of my clients, patients write cards, but he actually sent me a card afterwards. And one of the things he he said to me in uh, our final sessions was, you're the first person that's ever listened to me in my whole life.
2: Mm.
1: And on one hand, that was sad to hear, On another hand, it was an incredible honor to be invited into that place with him and and be able to provide him with some some tools and strategies to to overcome some of the
0: battles he was facing. So that's the last part of the the trifecta then of the E being the empathy, um, the A being assertiveness or really like disclosing what you're feeling and the R being uh, respect and showing respect to the person so um i think it would be good you know to sort of close this out with um modeling a little bit of how this would look um so uh if if you don't mind me putting you on the spot i think i have a couple examples and i think it'd be good to just model for everyone of how could you use some of these different techniques in your everyday life Awesome responding to people you know as they're you know describing their emotions to you so yeah and i i love being put on the spot because this is exactly how we do our training mm-hmm.
1: um in fact i've did a number of facebook live broadcasts with david where he did the same and and you can see my screw-ups there where i, I missed okay. them all didn't do well and and so you can give me some feedback on how that sounded and and if i make some mistakes it'll be great learning for for me and if we demonstrate some things that work really well it will be great learning for everyone else
0: Great, yeah. All right. Well, here's an example. So somebody comes to you and they say, "Oh, my day was horrible. My boss is such a jerk."
1: Oh, yeah. It sounds like you're having a pretty, pretty tough day. You said your your day was horrible, and 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 your boss is such a jerk. I, I imagine you're feeling pretty frustrated and and annoyed. I know <clears throat> I certainly would be if I, I I were you. Tell me a little bit more about what what was happening
0: today awesome so as you just heard mike do you know he, he did the thinking empathy he said you know that he repeated my words back to me my boss is such a jerk um and then you know gave an idea of maybe some things i might be feeling the frustration and then he was saying he, he did in- inquiry at the end to try to get a little bit of more information and you know as you're listening to this when i'm just giving short samples like this it's um it's hard to give a full you know empathetic response with such a short story or such a short, you know, uh, uh, sort of segment like this. So if anyone really ever has a, a brief complainer, just sort of they show just a little bit of, uh, I just, I'm feeling very depressed, like something very short like that, you can just follow it with a little bit of the, the thought empathy, maybe a little bit of the feeling empathy, and then with inquiry and asking more about it, inquiring to try to get them to open up more is never gonna hurt, right? such a key point you make there,
1: Nick, in that you don't have to
0: use all the five secrets every time.
1: In fact, right. using them all, all the time every time would be an error. It mm-hmm. would sound a little formulaic. Mm-hmm. Um, David often refers to the five secrets kind of like the, the keys of a piano, and you've got the five keys or the you know strings of a guitar, and I'm, I'm a musician, and sometimes one well-placed note can be just powerful and magical mm-hmm. if it's appropriately done. And sometimes the most simple, you know, music only has a few notes played. Right. Um, and, and other times you, you, you play them all to their fullness. Right. So if you if you if you leave one out, that's okay. Um, now, if you consistently leave one out and never use it, it'll show up then in your mm-hmm. communication and, and, and
0: people will pick up on it. So you might want to practice that one. But. Right. Well, here's another example. Mm-hmm. You're so selfish and don't really care about anyone except for yourself.
1: You know when you when you say I'm I'm so selfish I don't really care for anyone except for myself, it um it hits home because I think you're pinpointing something that is so true something I know I I struggle with I sometimes get caught up in my in myself and you and you've nailed on the head I'm guilty as charged and I imagine that um when I'm when I'm like that it's pretty annoying to you, pretty frustrating. I know I get annoyed with my, myself and I feel a bit disappointed because you, um, you know, you're, you're important to me and, and it, it's difficult when we have this, this, this disconnect. Am, am, am I hearing you right? Mm.
0: So that was a good example where Mike was able to use disarming and he said you're right you know and that i think that's often the case when when there's a 10 a a taste of sort of anger and what the person's saying of acknowledging that they're right and it and they are right you know that we all get caught up in our own lives and we we you know fail to really care about other people probably as much as we should so um so that was a great example of of disarming as well as you know some of the other uh forms of empathy and some inquiry it's hard to do
1: because you have to set your ego aside right you have to set your defensiveness aside and and that that comes with with intense practice and Mm -hmm. um you know for me my my kids my family have been fantastic at you know helping me develop i i often give the illustration my my daughter when she was about 10 or 11. my kids are teenagers and adults now but um I would be kind of listening to her and she would say, dad, don't give me that psychology crap. And I, mm-hmm. cause I was practicing the five secrets. And mm-hmm. what, what she was saying is nice try, but you didn't do them very skillfully. You know, you were trying to do, you know, thought empathy and disarming technique and stroking, but you missed the mark. Right. And, and when that happens, it's such a cruel opportunity because then you just fall back to the five secrets and, mm-hmm. and practice them again. And so my response would be, oh, You're, you know, what you're right. You you could tell I was kind of practicing my psychology skills. Right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't really listening to you, and I I bet that's pretty annoying to you, isn't it? She's like, "Yeah, can you just be my dad?" Yeah, you you just deserve to have your dad right now. (laughs) Okay, and then, and then all of a sudden she just started talking again, right? Um,
0: Right. Yeah, it's, um, you know, if there ever is any part of it that is disingenuous you know people will sniff that out and so it uh it's a skill for all of us to continue to develop of really admitting our own mistakes and really being curious about what the other person's feeling because otherwise if you're being formulaic and you're not honest about it people will sniff it out yeah
1: and um, certainly when we when we do our practice when we do our training we um we grade each other we say what grade did i get was it an A, a B, or c a d and, and that's hard because you're going to set your ego aside to get a grade. right? And then and then we talk about what, what did we do well? What worked? What felt good from kind of a gut level and a t- technical level? And, and then how could it be improved, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you'll see David do this, you know, if you listen to David Burns' podcast and he's practicing, he'll say, what grade do you give me? Because mm-hmm. he's always wanting to learn.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the
1: master of it, so.
0: Right. All right, well, one final example here. So yeah, I give up. Life just isn't worth it.
1: Oh, you know, when you when you say um, you give up and life just isn't worth it. My, my heart sank a little. Because um, it sounds like you're feeling pretty, pretty hopeless and pretty down. and it's a dark place to be. And um, I wonder if you'd be willing to tell me a little bit more about what's what's going on for you? What's happening?
0: So that was another great example where, you know, it was brief what I said to Mike, and he was brief in what he said back to me. He didn't need to do everything. Uh, but one thing that you showed there was saying, my heart sank a little bit of, of sort of modeling that um, the assertion or the sort of modeling the self disclosure of your emotions yeah. uh, to keep it in sort of a uh, vulnerable sort of mood and encourage the person to say more. You know, cause you've really gotten so little information from the person, but they're clearly feeling something so profound. So, you know, do your best to try, try to get out more from them so you can better understand.
1: Yeah. Just hear where they're coming from. And even when you say my heart sank, well, there's a little bit of a disarm in there. You're like, hmm. oh yeah, it's true. Right. You are, you're in a dark place. This is a tough place for you to be right now. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes sense. Tell me more about what that's like for you. Yeah.
0: Kind of be honored to, to walk in this place with you if, if you'd allow me right awesome well mike i think that this has been such a great little whirlwind tour of cognitive therapy team cbt and really i think you know some things that a lot of people can benefit from in their everyday life Mm -hmm. of how to show better empathy to others and, and how to you know change our thoughts so we can Feel better and and uh, live better lives. So, uh, before uh, sending everyone off to you, do you have a way that you know people that could get connected with you or the Feeling Good Institute or the work that Dr. Burns is doing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's been such a such a good time hang, hanging out with you, Nick. And be happy to do it again any time. Um, you know, the best way to get connected, there are really two websites where all the information can be found. The one is the Feeling Good Institute, so www.feelinggoodinstitute.com, um, and you'll see all the, the training options there. It's a new website going to be launched in the next few weeks here, and so you'll see some cool new changes there. Mm-hmm. And then um, then Dr. Burns has his website, feelinggood.com. And um, he has a ton of resources in his podcasts there. I've done a, a few with him. Um, you can kind of search and, and look me up up there. And then one final kind of shout out to, to David. And full disclosure, I don't get anything from David for promoting him at all, other than when he comes to Canada, he does buy me lunch. So um, <laughs> that's my kickback for. Um, but his new book, Feeling Great, with some of the more updated uh, motivational aspects, was uh, just released this this past fall and is now available um, online, Amazon. Uh, and I think it's in, uh, you know, e-reader as well. And so I highly encourage you to, uh, to, to check that out. Um, but yeah, feelinggoodinstitute.com and um, all of our trainings are there and, and they're available. Um, there's a number of free training um, for if you're looking for CE credits, you know, for those in the medical French profession, if you're just looking for a few CEs, there's a number of free offerings on there that give some of the basics as well as some more advanced training if you're interested in, uh, in, in taking on I, I have you know quite a number of you know medical people do take my course in class because they often say um, you know we we sort of did a, a brief section on empathy you know and a brief rotation but man I feel like I could really use more and, um, and some of them are some of the most you know kind of brilliant wonderful compassionate people and it doesn't take long um, with some some practice, um, if they are willing to kind of set their egos aside and and, and do it, and, and they do wonderfully, so mm-hmm. love love to have them part of the courses. Awesome.
0: Well, one other plug I would say is for really for any human being out there, but in particular those uh, with depression or anxiety, or supporting those with depression and anxiety. Feeling good is such a great place to start, and in fact, that's how I got introduced. To uh, to Dr. Burns and his work, and, and later to Mike, is through that uh, amazing book that a psychiatrist I know uh, would suggest to all of uh, his patients with depression and anxiety. So check out "Feeling Good," the "Feeling Good Institute," "Feeling Great." Um, these are, I think, you'll find them all to be very helpful. Um, so, Mike, I yeah, wanted absolutely. to thank you so much. You are um, Extremely talented, extremely wow. smart, and at the same time, so humble and approachable, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, you describe you, you're just such a good teacher, and uh, you were a great teacher for me, and I'm sure everyone today has benefited from your great teaching. So thank you very much.
1: Well, I'm going to give you an A plus on your uh, on your stroking right there, Nick. That was uh, well done, and and certainly my journey began with a physician giving me the book Feeling Good. Mm. and um, in many ways kind of owed my life you know uh, to that position into today because I got my start um, I'd done my undergrad degree a number of years before but then I made the shift back into doing this this type of work and and now we offer kind of online therapy as well throughout Canada and the United States and mm. um, I have the privilege of kind of offering that to people who you know may not have access to it and so mm. you can check that out on feelinggoodinstitute.com as well. Great.
0: Hey, listeners, some of you have so kindly asked how you can support the podcast. You can help by supporting us on Patreon. So please kindly find our Patreon link in the show notes. You can also support us by leaving a review. So please let me know what you think about the show by leaving a review on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook as Dr. Nissen. And it's important to note that this podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. And the use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is content of this podcast and is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment